Hello, and welcome to the Q&A portion of our program. Yes, uh, hello. One at a time, please. You there? Notable eel enthusiast Daisy McNamara here. Will there be more eel content in season two? Mm, afraid I can't promise that, sorry. Now you. It's Pacific. What about eels? What about them? D- did the two of you come together? You, Crumpet here from Twitter. Hole? Ah, yes. Hole, indeed. You there, in the trench coat? Jenny Docksnake of Unexplained Origins. Tell me, which part of the iconic Jackson Millennium Building is your favorite? Uh, I'm sorry. Why doesn't anyone understand Kennedy Jackson's innovative vision of human disergonomy? I beg your pardon? How could they all be so blind? That's enough of that. M- moving on. You look sensible. Dust in your eyes, also from Twitter. Is there a parallel dimension that is tormented by the inverse of the sinkhole? The equally menacing float hill? You know we don't talk about the float hill, Dustin. You. I might be Achillea, but I'll never tell you. Now, does the narrator listen to Blake Sky? To what? To Blake Sky Private Eye, the author's own origins as a voice actor, writer, and editor. Surely they must. Well, we're getting a bit outside of the conceit of this bit at this point. Quill, I see you back there. Come on now, lad. Uh, right, this is Quill Turner. Uh, nice to see you. What's 113's favorite food? Okay. All jokes and questionable accents and laboriously extended bits aside. Hi. I'm Kale Brown, the creator and primary voice of Sinkle. Before we get into the somewhat less silly part of the Q&A, I would like to address something. One of you has been paying incredibly close attention. One of you asked me a question that I want to acknowledge because it truly rules that you've thought this out so thoroughly, but which I not only cannot answer, I also cannot read here because you have accidentally stumbled onto something that might just be an existing major plot point. I think you probably know who you are, and I want you to know that I saw your question. You know. I know. And this will be our little secret. Okay, now that we've got that cryptic bullshit out of the way, moving on. Quill Turner asked me what year it is. You can actually sort of math this out from a combination of the timeline of the Jackson Millennium Building and the narrator's age and familiarity with technology that would have been popularly used in the 90s and early 2000s, but it's sort of mid-2060s. The hole would have opened up mid-2020s because, of course it would. It would be now. It would be this decade. Quill also asked, is the United States still a nation? And if yes, is it similar in makeup and global power to the United States of the early 2020s? This is the sort of thing I tend to actively avoid addressing, partially because it feels like tempting fate. The world is so weird these days that saying anything seems like challenging the universe to manifest it as a sort of Apollo's gift of prophecy thing, where you do a bit about Texas and Quebec separating and becoming allied sovereign states, and then it becomes a thing in fucking 2025. It's possible that I might make references to things happening in the larger world, but I'm very unlikely to ever state anything outright. And that's also because of how people talk. Or, more specifically, how they don't. With some exceptions, these are not the things people are likely to sit around and casually exposit about. Establishing things which would qualify as being common knowledge within the confines of purely conversational fiction is hard. Because in the real world, you don't really find people going, Well, as you know... Over a century after its partition from the rest of Ireland in 1920, Northern Ireland has finally separated from the United Kingdom and reunified with the Republic. Unless they're explicitly making content about that subject. It's just not how people talk. People tend to refer to things they consider common knowledge offhandedly, 
with the assumption that everyone present already knows what they're talking about. And they're unlikely to get into it unless somebody goes, wait, what? So yeah, my answer is that I'm not going to answer. Speaking of things being treated as common knowledge until actively challenged, here's a question from Crumpet relating to the JMB. Are there any other weird buildings, fiction or non, that you wanted to discuss but couldn't find a spot for? Not especially, actually. Something to understand is that the Jackson Millennium Building actually didn't originate in sinkhole. It comes from an older project of mine that never actually came to fruition, called Zero Tessellation, which was sort of a spiritual homage to the SCP Foundation, in the form of the thing I have always found the absolute funniest about it, which is specifically the background radiation of all of these people working in spaces that are, by necessity, completely fucking demented. Like, yes, okay, cool monsters and ghoulies and vending machines, sure, whatever. But you cannot tell me that the most interesting thing about this concept is not that if Dr. Photon and Dr. Parsec want to hook up in a supply closet during their lunch break, they need to make sure the one they sneak into isn't occupied by the resident broom-multiplying banana peel wizard of Site-69 that day. That's fucking incredible. Can I be real with you? That's truly so fucking good. The pure logistical madness of deciding to gather a slew of mind-bending objects and creatures into one place and then having to figure out how to navigate that space alongside other elements of workplace etiquette and behavior feels so good in my busted fucking brain. So, in its original form, the JMB was sort of this idea of a space which mirrored those needs in reality. A space that was so arcane and unintuitive to navigate that it itself kind of incidentally contributed to efforts at containment. Big parts of the Jackson-esque documentary were ripped directly from the Zero Tessellation script because it was written to have a non-character narrator. The conversation between the Soper execs was originally a discussion between the higher-ups of a foundation-like Mystery Institute about the pros and cons of buying the Jackson Millennium Building, and it ended with them coming to the conclusion that a building with a design so intensely whack that it seemed inherently anomalous was kind of a perfect disguise for actual anomalous bullshit. Something weird happens? I don't know, man. Probably just the JMB being incredibly goddamn cursed. Another day, another dollar, am I right? There was also this element of them making this decision as people who would never actually have to work there, and how that reflected on the actual staff who had to suffer working in this hellish piece of architecture. And, yeah. But that's enough about that. There are a couple questions here that I'm going to sort of roll together. Scott Paladin asked, What's the origin story for the podcast? And Pacific asked, why sinkholes? And the Venn diagram of my answers to those questions is almost a circle. When I was in my 20s, there was a Wednesday. And on that Wednesday, the street directly in front of my workplace at the time decided to stop. It just sort of stopped being the ground, which was not something I had previously been aware the ground could do. Why sinkholes? I'll tell you why sinkholes. A sinkhole is a bizarrely intimate sort of disaster. Let me explain. With a tornado, that's a weather system. That's this huge thing utterly outside of your control that is bearing down on you like an angry god. With an earthquake, that's a process involving movements in magnitudes larger than you could ever conceive of. 
These are things that are utterly beyond you. With a sinkhole, you walked over that patch of asphalt yesterday with no idea a hole lay beneath you. The only reason you didn't fall in is because the ground decided today was not the day it was going to become a hole. The hole was there. It didn't suddenly appear. It's been there for a while now. Waiting. And that's just something I have to live with now. That's just something I know and can never stop knowing. At any time, in any place, there could be a hole. I'm going to roll these next two questions together, too. Scott Paladin asked, What part of creating Sinkhole did you enjoy the most? And Pacific asked, What's your favorite part of making the show? And the two of you should be friends, I think. Some strong same branditude going on here. My favorite part of making Sinkhole is that I can just do whatever the fuck I want. If I want to make the audio version of a TikTok, I can do that. If I want to write an Instagram influencer going, hey, babbers, I can do that. If I want to make a shitty, completely inane tech ad that tells you nothing about the product it's trying to sell you, I can do that. Sinkhole is my project, and I can do whatever the hell I feel like. And I think that actually rolls nicely into Scott Paladin's last question, which was, what has surprised you the most about the response to Sinkhole so far? (sighs) That there was one. (laughs) I need everyone listening to understand something. I made Sinkhole with the full and comfortable expectation that about 10 people in the world would really, really like it, and everyone else would go, Kale, what is this? What is this, Kale? What did you do? We left you alone for like five minutes and you made a podcast about a hole. Kale? Kale, what is this? So yeah, I truly did not see this coming. (laughs) I cannot overstate how completely this was written without any regard for a potential audience and also how completely that will continue to be the case. Notable and esteemed eel enthusiast Daisy McNamara asked, Do you have any pieces of media that you would consider to have inspired Sinkhole, or to have influenced it or your writing in general? I think that distinction would go to I Am an Askew, which is one of my favorite horror podcasts. The elements of isolation in an urban environment of both belonging and not belonging, of being unable to incorporate yourself into the place you are for reasons beyond your control. I fucking love I Am an Askew. I think I've listened to it straight through three times, and it's fairly rare for me to listen to things more than once. It definitely had an influence on Sinkhole, for sure. A person who may or may not be Achillea asked, What was your creative process like for Sinkhole, and what advice would you give to people aspiring to make their own podcasts, or other creative venture? I'm going to level with you, because I got into this a little bit when I was talking about Zero Tessellation. You're allowed to recycle The actual process of writing Sinkhole was ungodly fast. Because when I go, I go, and you're all powerless to stop me. But there's a lot of scaffolding under Sinkhole you don't see. I think I blew through two other podcast ideas between deciding I was going to make my own podcast back in June of 2021 and sitting down to start writing Sinkhole in September. 
And even before then, I had played with the idea of scripting a podcast with stuff like Zero Tessellation and Deep Window. There are a lot of elements to Sinkhole that were borrowed from older projects that never went anywhere, sometimes as flagrantly as the situation with Jackson Esque in episode 4. It's not stealing if it's yours. If you wrote something years ago that you still think is really cool but never found a place for, I encourage you to borrow from it shamelessly and incorporate those elements into something new. There's nothing wrong with using labor you've already expended. It's just efficient. The idea that art has to flow seamlessly from pen to page in an unbroken stream is absolute fucking dog shit. That's not how it works. Artists keep sketchbooks for a reason, and writers are allowed to use their old drafts the same way. You're allowed to come back to things you've discarded and use them for things that are different than what you'd originally intended them for. And you're allowed to chop and screw. Who's going to fucking stop you? On a more technical level, Carol, or Ocelite, asked, Are the sound effects for the sinkhole from a library, or did you create them? The sound effect I have been using for the sinkhole is a piece of Creative Commons audio from freesound.org. I think all the sounds and music I have used for sinkhole thus far have come from freesound. It's an awesome resource. Kossler asked, Is the main character's condition and or inability to access the Nev a metaphor for mental illness or neurodivergence of some kind? I'm going to say no, not really. The narrator's inability to access the Nev is fundamentally an issue of tangible disability. A big part of this narrative revolves around the way evolving technologies, while wonderful and exciting, tend to leave disabled and chronically ill people behind. They're not designed with any real thought given to those among us who may not have the same physical resources to engage with them. And when those considerations are taken, they're always afterthoughts, uh, additions or modifications, not elements of the original design. There definitely are elements to the accessibility issues being discussed here that do relate to people who are neurodiverse or mentally ill. But that's not what's being examined with the narrator specifically. Notably esteemed eel enthusiast Daisy McNamara asked, Will we ever find out the analyst slash 113's username or gamer tag so I can stop calling them the analyst? I'm so sorry, Daisy. All I've done today is disappoint you. Probably not. There is a reason the members of this community latched on so quickly to the nickname 113 despite it being a little bit derogatory, and that's because the narrator's absolutely one of those people who has a username that is an unpronounceable string of letters and numbers. Their username is probably like fucking 22W6489H-50G. It's something that sounds like a serial number. That's just the sort of person they are. They're the sort of person who has a different handle on every single platform they're a part of, and is also a dedicated lurker as a rule. In the canon of Sinkhole, this is the only public forum on which they consistently post. So, no, you will likely never learn their handle, because knowing it would do you no good. What you might learn, however, is their actual name. They do have one of those, and it is pronounceable with your human mouth. No guarantees if you're an eel. Gaz asked, does the sink have a tangible presence outside of distorted recordings and radiation? If so, can you feel a shift in atmosphere as you get closer? Does one smell ozone, feel a tingle, or hear a barely perceptible buzz? This is a bit tangential, and I promise I will get to your actual question, so bear with me for a second. The sinkhole is not under a dome because it's radioactive. It's not radioactive, at least not in any traditionally recognized sense. This is not a Chernobyl situation. If it was, nobody would live in the sink. It would be an exclusion zone. 
The sinkhole is under a dome because it produces an apparently sourceless light which does something incredibly bizarre to organic tissue. It creates a sort of spatial duality wherein the affected tissue is present and behaving exactly as intended, but present and visible as well is this hole in reality that anyone but the afflicted person can just reach into, as though the original tissue simply wasn't there. It gives you a stereocoiloptosis. It makes you sunk. Back to your question. To actually talk about what it is that people experience when approaching the sinkhole, we first need to talk about the fundamentally subjective nature of experience. Because that's very, very important to understanding the way the world of sinkhole works. A true thing I can tell you is that not everyone responds to being near the hole the same way. And also that it is impossible to know not only what that means, but if it means anything at all. Let's do a hypothetical. If a study were to indicate that people who live near active volcanoes report experiencing tinnitus at a statistically higher rate than the average, that would sound pretty mysterious. But it wouldn't necessarily mean the volcanoes were doing anything other than being volcanoes and being present. It's always possible that something like that could turn out to be purely circumstantial. That's not a non-option. It's also possible that there could be socioeconomic factors at work which have had a hand in determining who ends up living close to a volcano. And that's something with an established relationship to stress. Chronic financial insecurity is strongly linked to chronic stress. Being poor is stressful. That's a thing we know both scientifically and intuitively. It's also very possible that living near an active volcano is just stressful. I keep talking about stress because stress is something we know can trigger tinnitus. So on its face, saying all of these people who live near active volcanoes regularly experience a mysterious ringing in their ears sounds almost mystical. It sounds like something out of a cosmic horror plotline, some elder god singing beneath the molten stove. But if you were to hand that data to a medical researcher, they wouldn't even blink. They'd just start cross-referencing it with other studies to see if it fit within a larger pattern. And that's because a lot of things that feel significant to us do end up being part of a larger pattern. But the way they turn out to have been significant is both really complicated and impossible to prove in a way that would satisfy most people. We understand the idea of something being cursed or haunted. We do not always understand the incredibly complex multitude of factors that go into a specific population in a specific space experiencing something specific and unusual. And that also matters. Because if you move into the shadow of the mountain, believing that mountain is haunted, and if you are someone who believes in ghosts, that superstition and that belief also have the potential to become a source of stress for you. It compounds. So, consider for a moment just how poorly the sinkhole is understood. Do people feel a shift in atmosphere? Do they smell ozone? Feel a tingle? Hear a buzz? Almost certainly yes. And more besides. But it is literally impossible to know to what degree any of that is the result of the sinkhole actually doing something, rather than the result of the sinkhole being present and perceptible and the source of a lot of superstitious belief. It might be something it does. It might also be something people do to themselves as a result of being people who are near something they know is weird. So, I guess my answer to that is yes, but not in a way you could reasonably include in any research about the behavior of the whole itself. Sir, not appearing in this podcast, asked, In-universe, are there any overlaps between the sinkhole recording enthusiasts and other hobbies? Oh, for sure. 
Both the sinkhole tapes and the sinkhole itself are attractive to certain kinds of creativity. You absolutely are getting people who are making weird noise music using recordings of the hole and people cutting together surreal bits of media from sinkhole tapes. That's for sure a thing. Otherwise, I think elements of the environment surrounding the sinkhole have gradually attained a certain level of popularity in indie horror media. There are a lot of empty buildings in the innermost ring of the sink. The auditory landscape of the area is super weird and eerie. Asterichoileptosis is deeply bizarre and kind of existentially upsetting. I think the sinkhole left a mark on horror media in-universe that is very identifiable, if you know it's there. Kossler asked, which tabletop role-playing game would you choose to run or play a game in the world of sinkhole? I do not fucking know. (laughs) If you know me, you know I am infamous for my debilitating inability to read rules and retain any meaningful information from them. What that means is I haven't had a lot of chances to play a lot of different games, and if I haven't played it or watched or heard someone else play it, I have absolutely no concept of how that system actually functions. So, I don't know. But I think it would be very cool to see what other people did with the idea. Final question here. Carol, or Ocelite, asked, Are there any plans for more merch? I am still comprehending the fact that people not only want merch but started asking me for merch by, like, episode three. If you didn't know that Sinkhole merch existed before this moment, that makes sense, because the only time I bring it up is when people ask. (laughs) If you want merch, there is a link on the official art tab of the website that will bring you there. In terms of having other merch designs, I have thought about it, but not with any particular focus or intent. It was never really in my plan to have merch in the first place. So if there are things people want very badly, I'm open to suggestions. Yell at me on Twitter about them, and I'll think about it. The only thing I've been seriously considering making is a design for a t-shirt that reads, Update. It's all trains. Because Shay's reading of that line consistently makes me laugh. Alright, with all the questions out of the way, a very warm welcome to everyone who came here from the single Reddit post that constitutes the entirety of my promotional efforts for this podcast. Hello! And an equally warm, but significantly more startled welcome to everyone who came here from the SEP Archives podcast, which Pacific was kind enough to shout out Sinkhole on. Thank you, Pacific. Uh, I did not have the chance to listen to that episode until two days after its release, so I did spend the first 48 hours of that experience completely at a loss. (laughs) Hi! Welcome. In more general news, at this point, season two has been entirely scripted, all episode art is done, all parts have been cast, and I am moving forward into the recording and editing stage. Not sure how long that'll take, but I'm generally pretty good about keeping folks updated over on the Sinkhole Podcast Twitter. If you'd like some suggestions on things to listen to in the interim, there are a couple I would love for you to check out and give a try if they sound like they might be your thing. The first was mentioned earlier in the goof portion of this program. Blake Sky Private Eye is a self-aware cosmic noir podcast about a down-on-his-luck freelance detective in the ambiguous 1930s who takes on a simple job investigating the cheating husband of a wealthy woman, only to discover that it is nothing but a loose thread at the edge of a much larger conspiracy. It's a very loving but unself-serious homage to noir as a genre, and it's really blossomed and come into its own throughout the course of the first and second seasons. Also, if you want to hear my debut as a voice actor, you have to stick around until at least episode 6. If something you really like about Sinkhole is that element of a cohesive world in which the rules and behaviors of the people involved make intuitive sense, 
Another thing to check out would be Breathing Space Fading Frontier. It's a sort of Western-flavored science fiction anthology podcast taking place within the confines of our solar system. It is a very similar vibe of everything changes except people. And unfortunately for our good friend Premier Anatoly Cherdenko, better recognized as Tim Curry, space is not, in fact, the one place that hasn't been corrupted by capitalism. Despite being an anthology, the world in which Breathing Space operates is so consistent that it doesn't feel like an anthology, if that makes sense. It's very good, um, and also you will be hearing both my voice acting and my audio editing work in upcoming episodes of Season 2. As a bonus, if you thought my little rant earlier about what I love about the SCP Foundation as a concept sounded fun, maybe check out the Foundation After Midnight radio podcast. I'm not involved with that one, it's just a very fun and tongue-in-cheek little comedy presented as the broadcasts of this Foundation-wide internal radio program. It doesn't take itself seriously at all, it's just a good time. I think that's everything, and with that, uh, I will see you in Season 2. Stay safe, and try not to fall into any holes.